Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, and welcome to this bonus episode of the TLS podcast. I'm Maren Meinhardt, and I'm joined today by Daniel Kehlmann, one of Germany's most successful and highly acclaimed novelists. Daniel is here today to talk about his novel, Till, which is going to be reviewed in the forthcoming issue of the TLS. Till is a wonderful novel in which the jester Till Eulenspiegel is imported from the Middle Ages and transplanted into the Thirty Years' War. So first of all, I was wondering, what is behind the decision to take Till out of the Middle Ages and plop him into the 17th century? Yes, that didn't seem like a very uh, very daring deci decision to me when I when I made it, although it might have been, but it, that, that that's not what it seemed like to me. I wanted to write about that time period, about early modernity, about the wars of religion, about the Thirty Years' War. And I was looking for some kind of guiding character, some character who would lead the reader through this world to, to different places, mm -hmm. to different people. And there's not a great many characters kind of uh, character types or professions or uh, kind of people who can do that for you in early modernity because people didn't really travel uh, and also the social structure was very rigid so a noble man or noble woman didn't meet a peasant or people who lived in a city did not meet a cleric from the countryside so it was all people were not moving in any socially or in space But, of course, there were vagrants, people who didn't belong anywhere, who were traveling. And the mm -hmm. most interesting kind of vagrants were, of course, um, jesters. So it made sense, because jesters are always interesting anyway, to They use a jester anywhere. as a guiding character who could go to all kinds of places, perform in, all, perform in front of all kinds of people from people who were high, who were high in society or low in society. And then I thought, why not take the great mythical German jester himself, <laughs> Till Uhlenspiegel, whom every German knows. Many of us, including me, knew him through children's books. But still, he was still he's still he's kind of a mythical character in German folklore and in German culture. And I thought, uh, why why not why not just take him and it seemed the fact that he the the anecdotes are 200 years older than uh than 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 the period my my novel is set in 
that didn't seem like such a stretch to me because uh-huh. he he was not a real character. It's it, there's no, it's not like as if I had moved. I don't know uh, Voltaire or yes, or course. some king of England to a different uh, time, so I just moved a, a, a character from anecdotes and folk stories, and the world hadn't changed that much. So it's not if if you would time travel from our time two hundred years into the past, you would find a very different world. But if you time travel from sixteen hundred to fourteen hundred in a village. The village wouldn't have looked much different. Yeah, that's a fascinating idea, and the whole idea of the Thirty Years' War being such a fascinating different time is also something it's quite hard to get your head around. I think at one point, you, some character in the book explains that during the war, towards the end of the war, there were people around who didn't even know what it felt like if there wasn't war, mm-hmm. who hadn't known peace, which is because it took. Th- 30 years. That's a whole generation. Yes. And of course, that doesn't mean that there was fighting all the time uh, everywhere, but the war was felt everywhere in Northern and, 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 and Middle Europe. And some regions were, some regions more, some regions uh, were less affected by it. Um, some regions in Bavaria, for example, or also in parts of the Netherlands, it was really devastating to an extent that is hard to imagine. Half the population died. Other regions were just uh, just affected for a short period of time and then it was over for them. But um, it was, if you look at Europe as a kind of a self-contained world, which in many ways it was back then, then it was like, for Europeans, it was like a world war. Mm-hmm. So this idea of um, the past feeling very different, if we were sort of flung into the world of the 30 years war now how i mean i noticed that um you said at some point that there um you know that you couldn't drink the water so people yeah. walked around. that was do you want to tell that one yeah that's um, something that i always found fascinating uh it's a, it's it's kind of a trivia but it's not a tr- information but it's not a trivial thing that it was close to impossible to get in en- to get your hands on um or into unpolluted water Uh, most wells would have been because uh, animals drank from it. It mm. would have be, would have been not fit for human consumption, and people knew that. So people drank milk or diluted beer, and uh, in a way, you in a way it, it it that's something that of course a historian can only speculate about. Mm. But as a novelist, you are allowed to invent on the basis of what you know. So knowing that, I would as As a novelist, I love then to imagine a world where most people would be a little bit drunk all the time. And that, of course, changes the whole feel. Of, of course, of course. So that also makes you think, of course, I mean, if you know that, I mean, there might be other sort of unknown unknowns that we don't even know about. Yes. I mean, it's 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 fascinating how much we don't know about, especially about daily life of, of, of regular people. Uh, that is a field that historians have become interested in only about 30, 40 years ago. Before that, historians were only looking at kings and queens and their marriages and battles between them and not what the life of a of a peasant or a miller actually looked like. And I'm, it's still fascinating. I, I was trying to get these things right. So I, when I say a novelist is allowed to invent things, that's certainly true. But also part of the fun of writing and reading historical fiction is that 
especially small details that the writer should try to get mm. them right, if possible, if at all possible. But there are many things we really don't know much about. And there I, I, I felt uh, allowed to invent. So I give you one example. Um, we know that uh, before the 18th century, child mortality rate was incredibly mm. high. So most children died before they were five years old. When Once your child made it past five, you had a good chance mm -hmm. that that child would see adulthood. But uh, I think two out of three children died before they were five. So in many ways, that mm -hmm. must have affected to a very deep yeah. uh, degree how parents related to their children because you had a baby, but you could yeah. not really allow yourself mm -hmm. to love that allow yourself to love that baby too much because you felt like this baby will be gone very soon. And that's what happened, yeah, usually. Most of them, yeah. So mm -hmm. historians are very careful about this, and rightly so. Historians, especially Philip Ariès, who wrote the greatest book ever on the history of childhood, he's very, very careful. He says, we don't really know what that means for the emotional life of yeah. people. We can mm -hmm. only speculate, yeah. but I don't want to speculate too much. But I can do that. I'm a novelist. Yeah. So... On the basis of what I believe to be true, which is that in in many ways, relationships between parents and their children were much colder uh, and less loving than they are today. Uh, I believe that, although there, it's, it's something that's hard to prove for historians. You can only speculate about it. But on that basis, I feel like I'm allowed then to invent something about how parents and, and, and children relate to each other and invent scenes between, for example, Till and yeah. his parents. And uh, but I well, do that because I believe it to be true. <laughs> yeah, no, that's hard to imagine. Yes, so um, we did quite a lot of research into witch trials, which is also a big feature of that period. Um, oh yes, uh, I was. I did a lot of. Uh, you could say did a lot of research. There was, in a way, is that to. Um, Uh, it, it was more obsessive than that. So I started, uh -huh. it started out as research because I wanted a witch trial in, in the novel. And I had a whole year of, of researching or reading where I fell into that rabbit hole. So it's, for me, the most disturbing thing that happened in European history before the 20th century is the witch craze. The, the utter complete hysteria that went into those trials against uh, about 100,000 innocent people who were tortured and killed as um, as witches. In and what time period, roughly? Well, it started... It, it's not a medieval thing. We we, uh -huh. uh, yeah, we, we, all, mm -hmm. we often like to think it's a medieval thing and exactly, then we got yes. over it. But actually, it happened... It started at the end of the Middle Ages yeah. and became worse and worse in early modernity. And the time period I'm setting my novel in the Thirty Years' War, it, it peaked shortly before the Thirty Years' War and had it another peak afterwards, and then it slowly uh, subsided and became less crazy. And then it just, like often, like often with hysteria and, and mass hysteria, people then just seem to have forgotten about it. It just seemed to disappear out of their minds. But it's still, it's an utterly disturbing part of, of European history because it happened not, as I said, not in the Middle Ages. It was not something that the church uh, was actually promoting actively. It was fascinating enough. It was mm -hmm. something that the church then acted on, of course. They're not innocent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in many places, in many parts of Europe, the church actually tried to put a lid on it. But people were in 
uh, in frantic fear of their neighbors. Everyone was in frantic fear that their neighbors would be witches and could be cursing them. And, uh, and, and of course, the, cra the thing that's so hard to understand for us is that those people accused of being witches, more and more women, and beginning more men, then it were more and more women, they were tortured in the most terrible way. Exactly. In your book, you make that quite clear how absurd that yes. is. Why were people so keen to go with that? The, the crazy thing, uh, from our perspective, the insane thing is we know that a The torture is, to put it very bluntly, and and uh, is a, a good, a, well, not a good, obviously, but uh, effective. an effective way to get information, but a very bad way to get honesty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, how could they believe that uh, a confession that you got out of a person who was tortured, that that was a valid confession? And it's one of those very strange things that makes you also think about the things we believe to be valid and true. Absolutely, yes. Because no one doubted that. No one raised that issue. But we are torturing these people. So, of course, they are going to confess. Uh, it seemed people treated those confessions as valid and took them as proof that there are witches everywhere. Um, and it's very... It's very easy to just feel superior to, to, to the people back then, Quite. but that's not, I think that's not a good position. The right thing to ask is, are there any things that we take for granted uh, that we should really mm -hmm. not take for granted, that we should think more, that we should think more profound or more clearly about? Are you thinking of anything in particular or is that a more general? Well, I mean, I don't want to, to, to put these two things on the same level, but I do think, for example, the way we destroy our life with cars is oh, something yes. that, that, that would come to mind. Like, uh, I, I, I mean, we are all concerned about climate change, of course, and we should be. But 30% of, the, of, our, of our cities, mm -hmm. uh, of the, the, of, of the uh, yeah, 30% of our cities is parking cars. If we would get rid of those cars and plant trees instead... Uh, the temperature in the city would be uh, would would go down about five degrees. Oh yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yes, so and we wonderful. all feel like cars are just something natural and normal. And mm -hmm. if a person would time travel to our world from 150 years ago, they couldn't. They wouldn't. Be, they would think it's unbelievable how our cities are, how ugly they are, how unlivable, how hard it is to just cross the street because of those terrible cars everywhere. So I'm not saying cars are the same as torturing witches. No, absolutely, but it's... But it's something that we take for granted. And if you thinking. start thinking about it, you, you feel like this is really strange. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, I once read that if cars were invented today, you know, they wouldn't even be allowed because no, they're killing... No, of course not. <laughs> a menace. They're yes. a terrible idea. <laughs> Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jenna, you seem very interested in the pre-enlightenment world. Are there any other things that interest you other than witch trials? What other aspects? Well, I got, I mean, I was... It was kind of a, a, a journey for me to get there. I was always very... I'm, I'm a big fan of enlightenment, of, of enlightenment Absolutely, philosophy, yes. of mm. I, 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 I love and admire Voltaire and Hume and how these people um, really were funny, witty, powerful polemicists yeah. for reason and, 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 and for actually making people's lives better in so many ways. Uh, so in a way, I got... But still, on the other hand, I, I was also lit in, in terms of literature. I, I my, of the things I like to read, I always loved fairy tales. I love ghost stories. I love um, magic realism also. Of course, yes. So in a way, I, I I I naturally I think had to get interested at some point in what was the world like when people really did believe in magic and yes. in curses and in spirits and ghosts and witches. So when that was not something that we just like to put in stories because it's it's beautiful and interesting yeah. and gives us kind of a delightful little shudder when we, when we think about it, but when everyone really did believe in that. And of course, the answer is the world was pretty terrible. So, mm. uh, but it is something that is really interesting I felt as a novelist to write about. So in a way you could say when someone publishes a historical novel or a historical work of fiction of any kind, um, they always like, like to talk about how, how much this is relevant to the time we live in now and how, in how many ways human beings are still pretty much the same. And that is all true. And this is all interesting. But I was really interested in many ways in how different people were 400 years ago, how the world was different, how people had a different way of mm -hmm. thinking, of relating to each other. So um, so even though now I'm often asked about the things that are similar between, for example, the 30th War and the war in Syria, yeah. and there's, there are many similarities, what I was really interested in in, on, in terms of psychology and the psychology of the characters is how different they are from us. And I wanted to get into that really different mindset. So I yeah. tried to use a narrative voice that doesn't know more than they do. So, mm -hmm. um, so I tried to even to not use, I'm not trying to emulate 17th century language, not at all. But I'm follow the way of thinking. Exactly, I'm following their way of thinking. And so for example, I'm also in, for example, I'm not even, when, when you, when you, Uh, when you describe any, when you describe events that happen in a story, you usually use words that describe the time, like minutes, an hour later, oh, he course, waited yes. for two hours. 
Even yeah. that, I'm, for example, I'm not doing because minutes were not part of, of course, the, the life of those people. Yes. If you would meet someone, you would have said, I'm meeting you in the afternoon. Yes. And somehow would have found a way to get together. Even hours. They would have known what hours Roughly. are, of course. Yeah. But it wouldn't have been part of how they experience the world. And I try to, in, my, in the way I describe uh, what happens, I'm trying to not use concepts that they wouldn't have used. Ah, yes, that's very inocrutively done in the novel, I have to say, yes. Um, would you like to talk a little bit about um, what I've noticed in many of your books, especially also, obviously, your first book, The Vermessung der Welt, mm -hmm. Measuring the World, um, of um, your way of refusing the grand man or grand woman view of history and sort of taking people down off their pedestals a bit or piercing their bubble just a tiny bit and give them a bit of a reality check. I mean, yeah. Do you, is that a sort of theme in your it novel? Is, it's not, sense and it like. is. It's something that in a way comes with itself when you're a novelist that likes to use comedy and comic effects. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what comedy, that's what humor always does, taking down... Yeah. Um, people that are really grand and, and majestic. Um, on the other hand, of course, I do really admire many of the people I wrote about. So in Measuring the World, I do both things. I do make a lot of fun of Alexander von Humboldt, who is kind of a comic character in that novel. Yep. But I also do really admire many things about him. His I courage, mm -hmm. his dedication to science, his dedication to, to, to understanding. So I think those two things do not exclude each other. They can go well together, but of course you have to always balance them against each other. With Till, it's a little bit different because the subject matter, it's, a, it's, it's also in many parts, I hope so, that's what I tried to do, a comic novel, but um, with the subject matter being so dark, there are many moral questions involved that you don't have in a comedy like, like Measuring the World, in a comic novel. Yes. So, um, so, for example... I do make fun in an aggressive way of uh, of Gustav Adolf, the King of Sweden, because he was yes. one of the brutal, mm -hmm. powerful people who killed yeah. many, many human beings and who kept the war running when it could have been over. So he's a legitimate target. Yeah, I don't well. think he has any... Uh, I mean, Swedish friends told me no one has ever made fun of Gustav Adolf in Swedish literature. So oh, that's great. That's, uh, yeah, so I, I, I was very happy to be the first one. But Absolutely, I think yes. he does not... He has no right to be... Uh, not to be made fun of. Whereas on the other hand, when I'm dealing with uh, poor and destitute people in a war novel who yeah. are... Uh, who who are uh, in 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 many ways ways the the victims of all this? Then of course I wouldn't think I wouldn't think of or dare making fun of them. There's no there's nothing funny about that. So yeah. uh, in in a novel like that, you really have to weigh whom to make fun of and where to use comedy and 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 where not to 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 use comedy. But it's not just about ordinary people that you talk. It's also people who are extraordinary people. Like Till is obviously extraordinary, but he also spots it in Nele that she, you yes. know, she's different. And this little girl, Martha. Yeah. So some people are extraordinary. And in a way, we sort of need extraordinary people. But what makes them different? Is it just a need? Is it just them wanting to be different? Or is it something intrinsic? Or what is it about ah, them? It's a very good question. So in I think in the case of Till and Nele and maybe Martha, I mean, she dies early, so we never know, she made find the wrong, out. She made the wrong choice. That right, she makes the wrong choice. She should have followed Till instead of staying with her, her people. Right. Um, uh, so I think in, 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 in their case, it's really the... Uh, It is the the wish and the ability to run away, to leave everything, to leave your village behind you, and to become artists. So, 
I, I did think of Till uh, and Nele then too as artists in a more brutal, more primitive world, which Germany was back then. Not the world, of course, yeah. uh, but Germany was much more brutal, primitive place than 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 uh, than it was later. Uh, London, for example, was not, or or, or Spain. The, 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 those were places of high culture, but Germany was really not. And um, I suppose Dickens's London also had its moments of. Oh yeah, def definitely. <laughs> but it was a place of high culture. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. But um, uh, with with Till, I thought of him as an extraordinary artist. But artist, but the art he's doing is more, f much more physical than uh, what ex what, for example. Shakespeare, who is his exactly. contemporary, is doing at the same you time. You make that very clear. He's got to practice loads. He falls off the rope yeah. all the time. It's not like he's got some innate ability. No, he, he has to practice. to want it. No, no. There's a there's a beautiful short story by by Thomas Mann about uh, about what it is like to be a, a, a an artist, where he says uh, talent is not being able to do something; it's wanting to do something. Yeah, and I, I I think I can, I fully agree with that. The people who develop who become very good in something, they are the crazy people who just don't stop practicing. They are not born with an incredible ability, although that happens too, but that's sure. very rare. Yeah. But you, and, and it, I think that only happens in, 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 in music and also in sometimes in math and in a different field. Yeah. But um, in, in most arts, in most other arts, you have to practice a lot and the talent uh, is just the wish not to stop practicing because you really like doing that. So that's why I never fully believe uh, artists who claim that they are suffering so much from their art. I mean, some suffering is fine, but also artists really do l like what they're doing. <laughs> but then that also leads me on. I mean, there's a price to being an artist, isn't there? Um, like yeah, but there's a price to everything in life. <laughs> so <laughs> so yes, there is, but it's still... It's. I don't quite buy into that romantic notion of the artist having to give up part of his soul and, and, and things like that. I really think uh, being allowed to be an artist, being able to be an artist, also, I mean, having the, 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 the opportunities to actually pursue that wish to, to become an artist, it's an incredible privilege and a, a, anyone who can do that is, is, is actually very, very lucky. So how do you feel about killing off a nice sympathetic character like little Martha who I didn't like to see die uh, which is also something you dealt with in your novel Fame with the character of Rosalie who you in the end rescue well it's not easy in, in, until I felt very close to, to, to many of the characters and killing them off also killing off uh, Till's father mm. uh, who gets executed that, 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 was, that really was not easy and um but i felt i had to do this when you when you write a novel that's set in a war in in, in times of war uh, you have to show that war has real consequences and um and has real victims and one of the problems in terms of of how you write about war is that readers can usually be quite sure they have the protagonists and they usually live until the end of the quite. book. Yeah. So what I'm doing in, in, in Till is I, I introduce this character, Martha, with a few literary devices that may that kind of signals to readers that she's going to be one of the protagonists, yeah. that she's going to be with you now for most parts of the books. Yeah. I mean, you, there are a few signals and mm -hmm. then that's what kind of what the reader expects. Um, 
if 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 they get to know a character early and the character kind of uh, is, is still young and is aspiring Thinks to something about and being a grandmother, yes. And then and and I even yeah right. I even give a, exactly, a yes. flash into the future of what mm -hmm. ha what will happen when once she's a grandmother. And then she very very early, like at the end of the first chapter, even she dies. And that was really that was hard to do, but I felt it was really necessary yeah. to show myself and the reader that when people die, they always take with them in, take into their death all their all their promises, all their expectations. Mm -hmm. yeah. You kill when when someone gets killed early in life, their future gets killed with them. So. The flash, the, the whole the, world, yes. the whole world, and that flash. So that flash forward. I actually use something that's very unusual in fiction, which is an omniscient narrator who proves to be wrong. So the narrator yes. tells you about her future, but he is wrong. That future yeah. gets killed off once she gets killed off. That's probably why it's so shocking. Yes, and uh, it it is supposed to be shocking. It has to be right. shocking. And so then, of course, the whole village Martha is in gets destroyed yeah. in war, and all people die, yeah. and. I, I feel this is an important role of literature towards history. The historian, by, 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 by definition, can only talk, not can only talk about survivors, but uh, the, the witnesses we have, the yeah. witness account we use, the ones away, yes. are per definition the accounts by survivors, because they survive to bear witness. And so in literature, you can actually talk about the people by inventing them, who were utterly forgotten. You can reinvent utterly yeah. forgotten people and you can talk about them uh, or even though they were not allowed to live on and bear witness. And so I felt there was, I had really strong feelings about mm -hmm. that. That's what I had to do, uh, even though it means, means I have to shock the reader quite early on in the book by killing Martha. And it's a novel where Europe is quite tied quite closely to England after all to Britain the Winter yes. Queen after all is the daughter of James the first yes. so how do you feel that I mean the book was obviously written before Brexit or yes. just about so how do you feel about do you have any thoughts about that about a different conception of Europe oh it's 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 really frightening and terrible I mean uh, I, I, I actually finished the, the, the novel after Brexit and after Donald Trump came to power in America so after all those really really terrible things happened and um I did feel like some of the dark times that I'm writing about are now yeah. coming back, not to mm -hmm. the full extent, not like the Thirty Years' War, but some of that darkness of the tribalism, of, 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 of nation nationalism is a kind of an anachronistic word, but tribalism, I think, is the right yeah. word. Like, is, is, is an, an, and of course, religious fan fanatism that back then was religious and might become religious again. Um, this... I felt like this is all coming back, and uh, and uh, I think it's a terrible thing. And I think that, in a way, when I started my novel, I was really, as I said before, interested in how much everything was different. I started working on this book in 2012 in yeah. a very different world, and I really felt like I had some kind of strange, outlandish, more historical interest in a world where all political systems melt down, where you have a complete failure of all political stability. And while I was writing the book, Syria happened, and then uh, and then in, in Europe, nationalists came to power, and then Brexit, uh, the, the referendum happened. So in, in many ways, the world moved, clo the world 
I was living in was moving yeah. closer towards the book I was writing, which was a very scary and strange experience. But then I told myself I must have in some way anticipated something because it it, it wasn't pure coincidence that in 2003, four I was writing a comic novel about yes. two scientists. And then in 2012, 13, I was starting a novel about the world melting down. Uh, so I must have anticipated something, but I really didn't know that I was anticipating something. I was surprised. I was really surprised myself. Well, I think it's not the sort of cheerful note you want to end on, but I think that's <laughs> what we've got to do anyway. So thank you very, very much, Daniel Kilman. That was lovely. Thank you very much for having me here. <laughs> Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.